Good evening and welcome to Hiawatha Church. I've been saying good morning to people all uh, for the past hour, but it's an evening. It's one of the, the few evening services we have here at Hiawatha. And uh, we want to uh, welcome you to it, to our uh, Good Friday service. It's actually, uh, even though it's, it's the day where we remember Jesus' death on the cross, it's actually a celebration. And so Christians gather and, and celebrate uh, all throughout this weekend, tonight especially focusing on Jesus' death on the cross in our place, on our behalf, for those of us who are Christians and then again on uh, Easter to, to celebrate the empty tomb, Jesus' uh, complete victory over our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. But tonight we're going to be focusing uh, on the cross, focusing on Jesus' death and, and the importance of it. And this is, like I said, a uh, very important holiday, celebration, focal point of, of our faith, and we call it Good Friday, even though... It's the death of our Savior. It's the death of our King. The death of our God happened on this night. Tonight, I want to ask you a question. Who is Jesus to you? So whether you have no idea who Jesus is, uh, a relative brought you here tonight, maybe this is just something you do on a kind of regular basis, is, is just come to church on Good Friday or Easter, or maybe uh, you have been a Christian for a while or even your whole life. But it's, this is one of the most important questions that anyone can answer, is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he just a good moral teacher? Even if you're not a Christian, just living in America, you probably know a number of Jesus' teachings. Was he just a rabbi, someone who was followed by people and gave them good advice and helped them live better lives? Was he just a miracle worker? Or was he just a healer? Was he someone that did great things, sent from God to kind of show God's power over the demonic or God's power over uh, creation, over, over diseases and things like that? Was Jesus just an example for us? Did he just come and, and live the perfect life, the sinless life, as the perfect example of what humanity is supposed to be or what God's desire for uh, mankind to look like? Is he just those things or... Is Jesus the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Savior of the world? Tonight we're going to move beyond what I or what you or others in this room personally think about who Jesus is and, and why he came, and we're going to look at what he says. We're going to look at Jesus and, and how he describes his mission, how he describes why he came to earth and what the point of that was, as well as seeing how the Bible describes it and seeing how God the Father, who, who sent Jesus into this world, see how he describes Jesus' mission and who Jesus actually was, the point of him leaving his throne in heaven, leaving God the Father to come to this earth 2,000 years ago and to, to die on a cross. Tonight we're going to look at a passage in the Gospel of Mark. And it's a really unique uh, look into Jesus' personhood, Jesus' humanity. So Jesus, according to the Bible, left heaven, and it came to earth, added humanity, became fully human. So paradoxically, I don't really know how this works, but he was fully God and fully man at the same time. And this passage kind of gets a unique look into his humanity. We're going to see Jesus in the garden, his, his interaction with his disciples and with God the Father just minutes or just hours before 
his eventual betrayal and abandonment, his torture, his uh, being unjustly accused and murdered and crucified on a cross. So like I said, tonight's passage is uh, in Mark 14. We're going to read verses 32 through 42. And before we get into our uh, passage, which looks at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and some of his interactions he has with his disciples and some uh, prayers he has with God the Father. So just leading up to this, in case you're brand new to the book of Mark, uh, so the book uh, chronicles Jesus' birth, his life, his, his ministry, the miracles that he, that he did, his teachings, things like that. And then uh, leading up to this passage, we see this is uh, John, or, uh, Mark 14 is towards the end of the book of Mark. Uh, leading up to this passage, we see Jesus at least three times uh, predict his death. He says, that Mark records three times Jesus telling his disciples, I am going to die. I'm going to get handed over to the religious rulers, and they're going to... They're going to kill me, and I'm going to raise again on the third day. So, so Jesus knew what was coming, and his disciples were told, at least. We, we see as we read the story that they didn't quite get it, and they were very confused as well. But we know that Jesus knows what's coming up. He knows that his death is imminent. And so our passage tonight is just minutes before Jesus is betrayed. Our passage will end as Judas uh, walks into the garden and is about to kiss Jesus and hand him over uh, to the soldiers. So you can follow along. Uh, our passage is up there on the screen. It's also, or you could uh, follow along in a, in a pew Bible in front of you. So we're going to be reading from Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here with me and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So the setting right prior to this, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. He, he, ushers in this uh, Last Supper or Communion or the Lord's Table, which we're actually going to be celebrating later on in our service tonight. And then he, he tells his disciples, my body is going to be broken for you in just a few hours. My blood's going to be spilled for you in just a few hours. They, they, they leave uh, the upper room and they go to this garden on the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, which is just outside 
of Jerusalem. And he takes his disciples with them in the middle of the night, and he tells them to pray, to stay there and watch with him just after telling them what is about to happen. And then he kind of grabs uh, Peter, James, and John, kind of his three uh, closest disciples, three main disciples, and he has them come with them. And Jesus knows what is about to come. He's predicted his death. He just told his disciples it's about to happen. He knows that Judas is about to betray him any minute. I want us to think about how it feels to bear our own sin. So just think of an example in your life, whether maybe you, you cheated on a, on a spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend or, or a friend, maybe you slandered someone or lied about someone uh, that you deeply, deeply loved, or maybe it's not a sin you committed against someone, but a sin that was committed against you. Maybe you were abused, maybe someone treated you very unjustly, and just think about all the burden that having that on you, think about how just horrible that is, how it feels, how weighty it is to bear your own sin, even just one sin. But Jesus is about to bear all the sins of the world. And he knows that 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 is coming. Verse 33 describes Jesus' state of mind and, and his body and what he's going through. Verse 33 says, Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. So Jesus is, is full of sorrow. He's troubled. He's overcome with horror and terror, knowing what's about to happen. So much so, even that uh, the Gospel of Luke in this, in this same story, or Luke's version of this same story, says that uh, Jesus was even sweating blood. That he was under such extreme stress, it's, there's a medical condition where uh, such great stress can make blood vessels burst, and it can be like you're actually sweating out blood. And Jesus knows what's about to come. He knows that he's going to be betrayed. He knows that he's going to be abandoned. He knows he's going to go through torture and to, uh, through so much shame and to be hung on a cross. And he knows that he's going to be separated from God the Father. For the first time in eternity, Jesus is going to be split from God the Father. And knowing what is about to come, we see Jesus pray. He prays to God the Father, and he says, let this cup pass, verse 35. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. So we see Jesus falling down on his face before his Father, before his God, saying, God, if there's any other way, I know what's about to happen. I know what I'm going to go through. I know you're going to turn away from me, that we're going to be separated. If there's any way, if there's any way that this cup can pass, let it pass. In the Old Testament, the cup, so what Jesus is saying here, if, this, if you can remove this cup from me, if this cup can pass. In the Old Testament, this cup was, was symbolic of God's wrath being poured out on human evil. It was a metaphor for divine justice poured out on injustice. Some of you might be right away after you hear that saying, well, I thought God is love. Kind of new to this Bible thing, but I do know God is love. 
Or at least, if there is a God out there, I want him to be loving. Why, why is there this, this anger here, this, this wrath, this judgment? That doesn't seem really nice. Not really something I like. But actually, love demands that there's anger. Think about someone that you love. If, if they're abused, if they're treated unfairly or with injustice, if there is true love for that person, you're going to get angry about that. You're going to want that person to receive justice or to receive what, what's due to them. So love actually demands anger. And the more you love someone, the more angry you're going to get if that person is hurt, is abused, is uh, receiving injustice. And so God has, has many attributes. He both has love. He calls himself love. He's, he says that defines who I am and in my nature and my essence. And he also said he's holy. He says, I, I am a just God. And so it wouldn't be loving to actually look at people who are getting abused and people who are getting sinned against and, and to just look over that. But what true love is actually demands that there be some type of retribution, some type of justice, some type of punishment. And we're going to see on, at, at, at the cross, ultimately, where those two things are united, God's justice and God's love at the same time. We'll get to that in just a little bit. So when Jesus is asking the Father to remove this cup, Jesus is asking him not to pour out his wrath and his divine justice onto him. He's asking the Father if there's any other way, any other way to save humanity without Jesus receiving this punishment, without Jesus needing to take on the wrath that is due to humanity for their rebellion against God. The Bible teaches in, in, in Romans that all have sinned, all humanity has sinned, both in, in our actions as well as in our nature, and fall short of the glory of God. We are deserving of this cup. We're deserving of wrath. And it's not just our first parents, Adam and Eve, who sinned and rebelled against God. If you've been around at Hiawatha, we're going through the book of Genesis right now, and we've actually just unpacked uh, Adam and Eve's rebellion against God their creator. But it's not just them. We're, we're all rebellious against God. We're all deserving of punishment, of God's wrath. Because of our sin, we deserve God's wrath against us, yet God has a plan. He has a plan to rescue us. And if you've been here at Hiawatha, even at the very beginning, just moments after our cosmic rebellion against the king of the universe, God says, he whispers, I have a plan. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to send a rescuer, a king, a savior who's going to fix this problem. Romans 3, it continues. So all of all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all, we're all due wrath. Yet, verse 24, we're also justified, we're Christians, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So this word propitiation, big word, don't really use it much in our English language, means a, a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. So just think of, of a, a wrath deterrence. And so Romans 3 describes what, what Jesus is about to do on the cross is actually, we see it says here, uh, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. So it's through Jesus' blood, through his death on the cross, that now the wrath that was due us the punishment that was due us 
is now deterred. It now goes on to Jesus. And now when God looks at us, he now looks at us with favor. Also in 1 John 2.2, this idea of propitiation comes out. 1 John 2.2, speaking of Jesus, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for, and not only, and not for ours only, speaking of Christians, but also for the sins of the world. Which is crazy to think about. What, what, what exactly does that mean? That means Jesus' death is not just wrath deterring for his disciples, not just those who gave their lives to, to follow Jesus, not just his friends and family, but the whole world. Those who hate him, those that, who have been slandering him and, and trying to kill him, those that are deserting him, even those that have betrayed him and are now going to murder him, even his enemies. Martin Luther calls this, uh, this theological idea the great exchange where uh, when we become Christians, when we repent and believe in, in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we hand over our guilt, our, the, the wrath that we deserve, our punishment, our guiltiness. We hand that over to Jesus and in return, he takes that upon himself on the cross, and then he gives us his righteousness. So we go from being under wrath, under judgment, to now when God looks at us, he looks at us with favor. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus pleads with his father in the garden. He says, if there's any other way, any other way, Dad, that we, we can accomplish our mission, any other way that humanity can be saved if there's any other way. And then he also says, Father, I know that all things are possible with you. He doesn't just say, if you could think of something quick, get me out of this. But he says, I know that, that everything is possible with you. He knows that God the Father can do anything. And he knows that God the Father would still be good and just to keep Jesus from the cross. Jesus was innocent. And instead, to, to let that wrath and that punishment fall on humanity who actually deserved it and we see here too jesus even asking three times he doesn't just ask once he asks three different times the same prayer if there's any other way that i don't have to go through the cross i don't have to be abandoned by you if i don't have to be betrayed and humiliated and shamed and tortured and crucified if there's any other way we get this incredible look into jesus's humanity he knows his plan. He's been telling his disciples. He just told them right before they went to the garden what was about to happen. Yeah, we see Jesus' humanity here. We see his heart. We see his, his uh, desire to not have to go through this. His terror at what is about to happen. His desire to not be separated from the Father. Tim Keller writes about this. He's an author and pastor in New York City. He writes... Jesus is begging the Father to carry out the mission some other way. But he doesn't ask him to abandon it altogether. Notice that. He doesn't say, he doesn't say Father, let's change this plan. Let's, let's get out of this. He doesn't ask him to, to abandon the mission altogether. Why? Because as horrible as the cup is, he knows that his immediate desire to be spared must bow before his ultimate desire to spare us. So how does God respond? How does God the Father respond to his son 
lying on his face, crying out to him with, with uh, blood dripping down from his face. Spare me from this. If there's any other way, spare me from this. How does God respond? Essentially, he responds by saying there, there isn't any other way. There's no other way for humanity to be saved from their sin and from death. There's no other way for Jesus' mission to be accomplished. God the Father's plan was to send the Son into the world to be a Savior, to be the rescuer, to be the one promised back in Genesis 3, right after the fall. And the way that he's going to accomplish his mission is through death on a cross, in humanity's place, dying the death that we should have died. John 4, 14 defines Jesus' mission. The Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Again, back to our question at the beginning, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is, is he just a good moral teacher? Is he just an example for us? It's not what the Father says. Yes, he, he was an example. Yes, he was the greatest teacher ever. Yet Jesus' mission was to come to be the Savior of the world. Think back when the angels announced uh, Jesus' birth. They say, for you today, a Savior is born. Not just a teacher, not just a miracle worker, not, not just a healer, not just a, an example, although he was those, but ultimately his mission was to be a Savior, and that was going to come through his death on a cross. John 3.17 echoes this. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, Let's stop right there for a second. If Jesus just was a teacher, or if he just was an example, and that was it, he doesn't save us from our sins, that actually doesn't bring us salvation. That brings us even more condemnation. If he only comes and teaches us more law, and not a way for us to, to do that law, not a, a way that we can be saved from our sins or empowered to actually do any of that, we're actually even more condemned. If Jesus comes and all he is is a perfect example for us to follow, that's actually not good news. That's actually more condemnation because we never could live up to that perfect example. But listen to how John 13 ends. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus' ultimate mission was to die on a cross in our place for our sins. And look at Jesus' response. So he begs his father to save him from this. That if there's any other way to, to, to let this cup pass from him, and look at Jesus' response, he ends with, but not my will, but yours be done. He bears his soul three times to his father. And his father says, no, there is no other way. And Jesus responds, I submit it's not my will. Ultimately, I want your will to be done. He doesn't say, wait, that's not fair. That's not fair. I'm innocent. They're the guilty ones. He doesn't say, I don't deserve this. You know me. I don't deserve this. He doesn't respond with, Father, it's me. We've been together for eternity. We've loved each other in perfect harmony and, and community and love forever. It's me. Don't send me away from you. He doesn't respond like that. Instead, what does Jesus essentially say to God the Father? He says, I trust you. He says, I want something different than what's about to happen, yet I know your character. I know you are good, Dad, and I trust you. You know my heart. You know 
in my humanity especially. I don't want to go through this. I'm terrified, even to the point of death. Yet I trust you, and I know you're good. Tim Keller, again, speaking on this, he says, Jesus, he's not even saying to God, I think you're, ro- I think you're wrong, but I'm going to let you win on this one. No, Jesus is saying, I trust you no matter what I'm feeling right now. I know that your desires are ultimately my desires. Do what we both know must be done. So Jesus is telling God the Father, I trust you. He's also telling him, I'll obey. I'll submit to you. Not my will, not my desire, not what I want to happen, not what I'm begging you to happen, but your will be done. He's also saying, I know my mission. You're right. I, I, I know that I must die. I know that is why I came. I know that is how I'm going to save the world. I know that is what my mission is all about. And Jesus makes it very clear for us. And this is, you know, you pick up certain the- theology books or read certain blogs or articles. This is not a very popular uh, theology especially here in America. But Jesus makes it very clear who is taking Jesus' life. It's not divine child abuse. It's not God the Father hating his son and, and putting him through torture and murder and death. But Jesus makes it very clear what's going on here, that he knows his mission and that he's submitting to the Father and that he has real choice and it's his desire ultimately as well. John 10 Jesus speaks, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one makes me die. I could make these, knock these soldiers over. I could call angels down to rescue me. I could do whatever he wants. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. Jesus knows his mission. He loves us. He loves the Father. And his desire is that his mission would be accomplished. So Jesus essentially is saying to God the Father, when he says, not my will, but your will be done, he's saying, I I trust you. I'll obey and submit to you. I know my mission, that I must die. I know that's why I came. And finally, he's saying he loves us. John 15, 13, again, Jesus speaking, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's the ultimate love, Jesus is saying, is that someone dies for his friends, lays down his life for his friends. And that's what he's about to do. So this is, you know, before the cross here, Jesus speaking. Romans 5, 6 through 8 also speaks about this. For while we we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Listen to this. But God shows his love for us. So this is how God shows you his love for you. Not just because he gives you a nice job and a loving family and pretty good health and a nice 501k. Those are small ways that God does show you that he loves you. But ultimately, this is how God shows you that he loves you. In that while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, while we were distant from him, 
That's when Christ died for us. So now how does our story end? Does this story end with uh, Jesus being let off the hook? Or Jesus standing up victorious saying, hey, we figured out another way. It doesn't. Our story, it doesn't end in the garden, but it continues. Jesus' mission continues. So we've just seen Jesus, his emotions, his feelings, his, his uh, terror and, and sorrow that he's going through and how he's speaking to his disciples and his father. And now look at his resolve at the end of this passage. He says these four things. You know, he says, God, I trust you. I'll obey you. I know my mission. And I love you and I love them. I know why I came. And look how this passage ends. Look at the resolve in Jesus. Verse 41 says, uh, Jesus speaking, The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He goes from being terrified to death, sweating blood, in extreme anguish to resolve. He says, I know my mission. Bring it on. Let's go. It's time. He tells Peter, put the sword away. Stop trying to protect me. I know what I came here to do. I know what I have to do. So this, this Good Friday, let us do a few things. Let us marvel at the anger, the wrath, the judgment that we did deserve, yet that the cross was put on Christ, that he chose to take on himself for our sake because of his love for the Father and for us. And not only that, but also marvel at the love and the sacrifice that we see. We see that it wasn't, it wasn't easy for Jesus to go to the cross. It wasn't easy for him to go through the, the betrayal, the rejection, the shame, the torture, the death, the separation from, from God. It wasn't easy. He didn't just play his God card and kind of go numb or get rid of all of his emotions and his feelings and kind of just easily go through Good Friday. But we see just the, the pain and the anguish that he went through, that he chose to go through because of his love for you today. If you've never heard this before, or if you have heard it and haven't received it yet, today is an invitation for that. He, he wants, in his, in, his sovereign, in his sovereignty, in his power, and he wanted you to come here today to hear that. He wanted you to know that this is what he went through because he wanted to save you. He wanted to save you of your sins. He wanted to reconcile you back to him. He wanted to give you eternal life. He wanted to heal you from the sin that, that uh, ensnares you, that enslaves you right now, and the evil and the sin that's been done against you. He wants to invite you to receive that today, to, to trust in him, to repent of your sins, and to believe that what he did on the cross, what he's about to do on that cross is die in our place, to receive all the wrath and the punishment that we deserve, and to give us his righteousness, to give us his guiltlessness, to give us eternal life, relationship with God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Good Friday. We truly see it as Good Friday, even though it's, it's dark and we mourn, and uh, we see just the horror that you had to go through. God, at the same time, we do call it good. Our, our sins were atoned for on the cross. Our enemy of, of sin and death and Satan 
It was defeated on the cross. And God, this is all, the gospel, this is all one big event. It's the cross and the empty tomb. And so I, let us look forward to the empty tomb as well, to focus on the cross and to know that it didn't just end there, that we, we don't just have our sins forgiven, but just as you rose from the grave on the third day, you say that we will rise with you as well, spiritually, right now, and physically uh, for eternity when you return. Pray this in your powerful, uh, saving name, Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to move into the time of uh, communion now, or the Lord's Supper, uh, to end our service tonight. So right before uh, our passage uh, that we looked at tonight, right before uh, Jesus took his disciples to the garden, he had a meal with them where there was bread and there was wine, and he said, uh, this, this meal that we're taking, it is symbolic of, of what is about to happen. And he says, I know humanity. I know your hearts. We are, we're so forgetful that he says, I'm going to give you this gift of, of, of taking uh, this, this supper, this table, uh, again and again and again. Do it regularly so that you can remember what I'm going to do for you. And so as they were having this meal, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is symbolic of, of my body. My body is going to be broken in just a few hours for you. And now you can eat of this, this broken body, and, and it will give you eternal life. It'll, it'll be a bread that, that fully satisfies you, unlike uh, normal bread. And he took a cup and, and poured wine into it, and he said, this is symbolic of my blood. My blood is literally going to be poured out for you in just a few hours for the forgiveness of your sin. And so he told his disciples and his church uh, after that to, to continually take uh, this table and to remember what it symbolizes, Jesus' broken body and his, his shed blood on our behalf. So I want to invite you to do that uh, tonight as part of our uh, celebration, our remembrance of Good Friday. If uh, you're not a member here at Hiawatha or this is not your church, um, we want to welcome you to still take it. You don't have to be a member here to, to take communion tonight. Um, the only thing we ask, as Jesus asks, is uh, if you're not a believer, that you, that you shouldn't take it. But again, he invites you today. He invites you to put your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins and come talk with myself or Pastor Chris or, or someone, maybe someone you came with, and uh, feel free to, to take communion for the first time tonight if, if you are uh, trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So uh, I'm going to pray and invite the band up, and they'll come sing uh, about five songs. And anytime during uh, that worship set, if you would like, uh, we want to invite you to come down the center aisle. You can break off some bread, pour some uh, wine or some grape juice um, in a cup. You can take communion in front row. You can bring it back uh, to your row. You can take it there if you'd like. All right, let me pray for us and uh, invite the band up. Father God, we thank you for communion. God, we thank you that now through your death we can be reconciled to you. We can have communion with your body. God, we pray uh, tonight specifically as we focus on the cross, even more so, we do this every Sunday, but even more so tonight, God, uh, that as, as we break the bread, as we drink the cup, that we be reminded of your, your broken body and your blood that was spilled on our behalf. Not, not just as an example of the, of the greatest type of love, not just as a way to teach us some great spiritual truth, but God, 
you died on the cross to save us from our sins, to, to give us uh, reconciliation back with God, to uh, deter the wrath, the punishment that was deserved to us. I pray this all in your name.